Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 133 for Monday, March 22nd, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a lightly weathered Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if you would like to hear about how I've been spending the beautiful weather outside, inside, in things like Satisfactory, we talked about No Man's Sky, and we talked about just general springtime in general on the render distance. You can go and check that out at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks, become a member and get lots of extra audio content every week. Well, uh, you've been spending a bit of time in Satisfactory, but how is Minecraft going? Is it equally satisfactory? Is it, is it even better? I have had my butt handed to me. Oh, no. <laughs> by, the, by this build. Uh, the joke that I was making on Twitter was like, did I spend the week working on a church or did a church spend the week working on me? And I can't <laughs> really figure it out. It's, it's put the fear of God in you at this point. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, but um bump Yeah. It, uh, so I made this stone church and uh, I'm happy with the inside of it. And that was the main goal. The outside roof and stuff took a lot of tweaking and a lot of moving around. It was tedious, but I felt like the design process was was pretty solid. Uh, I didn't want to mimic the exact same roof as my keep, but it ended up being a very good, you know, solution to my problem. So I ended up going that, that route. Um, I also wanted to try and make, make this thing not gargantuan. And that mm -hmm. was the real, that was where I really put myself between a rock and a hard place. If you pardon the pun, uh, in that trying to build at a relatively small player scale for buildings like this gets very, very tricky, very quickly. Um, I, I think I've achieved it with the kind of like front area of the church, but the tower man, like it's not a difficult design. It's, it's just a box with a smaller box on top of it. I have made the decision to put it off center. Uh, so it's not like right down the line of the church. It does the, the, the tower does not line up with the roof line. It line, it's a little bit off side. The idea being that I'd like to have some sort of courtyard or something out the back, like a graveyard, or maybe, maybe, a a flower garden or something like anything at all to kind of like try to keep it a little asymmetrical. But this weekend I tried, I don't know how many different designs on this tower in terms of like, where do I want the windows? Um, I am trying to approach these builds from a certain functionality. So I do have a staircase that goes up the middle of it, which then limits where you can put windows. And I had this beautiful, like, I don't know, six or seven block tall, like great big stained glass window plan. And then realize that the curtain wall for the town is going to be right outside of it. It's like, <laughs> well, that's not going to work. Yeah. I'm not putting a window in the wall as well. So, so really, I just kind of had to like dial back on some expectations, which is only, a, it's always a hard thing I find in Minecraft. You're like, I have this vision and you want to do it and you have these good ideas, even some good designs. And you're just like, oh crap, it doesn't work for this building. Like where it's located, how it jives with the town, how close it is to the wall, like all that kind of stuff. It just doesn't seem to work out that well and then i had this i don't know what it was on sunday my i just indecision out the wazoo about like which blocks stone bricks andesite stone how many different blocks of 50 percent gray can i put into this tower and try to make it look good and i just i could not get it to work and eventually uh after i finished streaming i just went in and just kind of like clear coated the whole thing and just stone <laughs> You know, I just said, all right, I'm going to leave it like that for now. I will come back to this when I'm not so frustrated with it. So I think I'm going to move on to the wall and, and try to do other things. And just, I have it right now. It doesn't look like, there's no holes in it right now. But it 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 was a pretty frustrating experience. Like, when's the last time that you did a build where, not that you, like, rage quit, but, like, you just really had to say, like, this is just not going my way. I have to go do something else right now. How When's the last time that happened? 
I feel like I do that just with any long, large-scale project. I always end up deviating and going back and doing other stuff, and it's been happening on and off with the museum for me for a while, where, you know, I'll, I'll just need a break because there's just so much effort going into something in particular like i i went to i did the the biome dioramas that i've been building in this one section of the museum i did about half of those and then i went straight off to do stuff like generated structures and then i tinkered with my storage system and then i went and built a vine farm back at my central town and there's just so many different bits and pieces that i jump to in the process of building something larger like that so yeah i, I definitely feel for you that's it, it's it's one of those things where it's not necessarily an individual structure that will get me it's just that the occasionally i have those moments of perspective and thinking oh wow i've still got so much left to do on this that i just have to go and reset my brain by doing something else yeah, and I, I, I think too. I also I wanted to try and get it done this weekend. Like I had that fun feeling last weekend of finishing a build in just a couple of sessions. You know, like halfway through the blacksmith one stream, finished it the next. Like yeah. done, happy with it. You know, has had some struggles, like had some problem solving, but managed to get through it all. And this, I was just I was coming to the end of the time, and I was just like, oh, I'm not going to get this done. I thought yeah. I could get this done in a few few hours, and it's like, you know, it's taken me as long to try and figure out this tower as it did to figure out the entire rest of the church, which is far more complicated. Yeah. And I just, it's, it's an odd kind of thing to be beating your head up against the the wall. And I think too, that I, I also had a reference image that was a, a simple render of like a medieval style church. And I wasn't building it block for block. I wasn't doing everything. I was just kind of like taking some design inspiration and I just didn't want to do something with a steeple, you know, like I kind of yeah. wanted to do something a little bit more. I think one of the people in my chat said that was more of a Norse, church like it had that mm -hmm. more of a squatter kind of like northern vibe to it and um uh it had some really cool corner pieces where the corners of the building were thicker so it looked like it was more stable yeah but of course in that model those those towers those buttresses are on a 45 degree angle which you can't do in Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. so you know you're trying to figure like well if i make it like a two by two or a three by three and it just looked too chunky like it just it took my 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 decent looking tower made it look like it had gained you know, it had eaten too much cake, you know, mm -hmm. like it was just, it was really just too squat and too, um, it, it, it messed with the silhouette. And I was like, all right, well, again, another idea that I had that looked cool that I have to like kind of like dial back because in order to do that and have it work, I'd have to make it t like real 200% bigger. It would have to be so large. So I just kind of took some of the design elements that I was stumbling upon and battling with and thinking like, you know, this would work really well in something like an elven city or a dwarven thing where like the the structures are mountainous like you're building into the side of a mountain or you're making these really tall white towers or something and i tried to just kind of like mentally compartmentalize the ideas i had say like, all right this good ideas just not for this build you know yeah what have you been doing man um i i, I actually following our discussion about moss mining from the the end of the last episode so if you go back and listen to the last episode if you haven't listened to it all the way through joel proposes uh that mo using moss and insta mining it using at the time an axe that i think the tool has changed in this week's snapshot but um you you could effectively insta mine your way through layers of material without needing a beacon and leave all of the ores behind because spreading moss using bone meal it will just ignore all of the precious blocks and only focus on the natural stone, diorite, deep slates, andesite, granite, gravel, sand, that kind of stuff. So I, I decided to give that a try. And, um, you know, I, I kind of 
ran that past you first just to make sure that I wasn't like stealing an idea that you planned to explore yourself. But I quoted that section of the podcast in the video and then used it to mine out an entire chunk. And then later on, I did a live stream where I went to, you know, through a, a naturally generated snapshot world without lush cave generation, because that would have made it one biome. But I wanted to see if it, how viable that method was in survival of getting hold of some moss, getting hold of enough tools that you could instamine whole layers of it, reproduce the moss with bone meal, you know, turn all of the moss into composter composter produced bone meal and just kind of repetitively do that and it works <laughs> I, I discovered that it works nice. it, re it requires a fair bit of effort but the return on your bone meal you get is always equivalent if not greater than the amount of bone meal you need to put in if you're using it efficiently if you're making sure that you know you spread moss from the corners so you have a better chance of reaching a wider area and you don't accidentally right click on the moss itself to not spread it, but to like spawn grass everywhere or too tall grass, right. that kind of stuff. Um, so I spent a few hours doing that. I think it took about five hours total to take a chunk from uh, surface level all the way down to bedrock at negative 64 in a snapshot world. And I did that in a peaceful world without any mobs spawning so I wouldn't have to fight them off. And I was composting stuff as I went and giving myself diamond axes every time using a command block because I figured, you know, that you have to have a decent source of diamonds to begin with. Otherwise, you know, you're going to spend your entire time crafting axes out of iron or stone and they're just going to break after, you know, half of a chunk. And yeah, I, I got that all the way down to bedrock. It took 19 unenchanted diamond axes to do. And to be honest, the results were kind of underwhelming in terms of the ores I acquired because while you can guarantee that there is you know, you've gotten every single ore block that's going to appear in that chunk, you also only have the ores that were generated in a single chunk. And as we know, there's like a slim chance of getting one or two veins of diamond in a chunk. And then it's like mining for ancient debris in, in the nether. You're not going to find all of it in one chunk. You have to travel over a large horizontal area. So my next strategy was to try that in a survival context get a I, I ended up spawning myself in one block of moss and then propagated it from there using the bone meal i found a an igloo villager research station you know those ones where you go down the mm -hmm. trap door and there's a, a villager that you can cure down there uh with all of the stuff without even having to go to the nether there's a splash potion in a brewing stand and a golden apple in a chest so i i cured that villager turned him into a weaponsmith so he would trade me diamond axes for one emerald <laughs> i nice. i think i turned the i turned the other guy into a fletcher so i could have like the stick trade you know and then I, I just traded with the weaponsmith until I could get enough for axes, bought five or six diamond axes from him and went immediately to deep slate level and started doing the moss mining method in the first cave I found, which was actually a fairly well like self-contained cave. And then I found maybe like eight or nine diamond ore out of that, just mining through the deep slate levels. And what, what I've come to realize is there's really no point starting any higher than that anymore because you don't really find diamond nearly as frequently in stone levels anymore it's got to be deep slate or lower basically and yeah I, I i did that until i think i hit an abandoned mine shaft and just sort of stopped there because mobs were coming in from either side but it was it was an interesting way of mining it it actually kind of functions the main drawbacks of it being you know it's a little bit tedious it's not like 
going through naturally generated caves, which I think in the finished version of 1.17 is going to be a lot more fun. Um, and exploring to find those surface level diamonds is probably going to be a bit more rewarding than mining down through layer upon layer of moss that you're generating. But if there were any diamond ores in that chunk, I definitely got them. And there's something to be said for the completionist aspect of it and the fact that you can... Um, you know, you, you can clear out a large area without the use of a beacon. You can instamine blocks that wouldn't have been instaminable otherwise because Deep Slate can't be instamined even with haste and efficiency. And yeah, I, I think what I learned from that was that maybe it's going to be a more viable method if you want to clear out a chunk for a slime farm or something like that without having to right. get hold of a beacon first. It's not going to yeah. be my number one mining method. And of course, it destroys all of the blocks in the process because you're just bone mealing all of the moss and then converting that back into bone meal so you don't get anything out of that aside from the ore blocks or the products of the ore blocks i suppose so if you want a bunch of deep slate for a build this is not the method for you because you will just destroy it without getting any of the the proceeds but it was fun and it's actually led me to think about a couple of you know logical conclusions of that that i might talk about a little bit later in this episode but mm. i i gave it a go and i was not entirely disappointed with the results that's really cool and i have to confess that at the time that i made that suggestion last week i had forgot that moss will only um uh, spread horizontally with the exception of like maybe one block up and one block down yeah right like you can't walk up to a wall put moss block in the wall and then bone meal it and have the wall horizontal like vertically vertically go mossy right yes. like it doesn't doesn't work like that and likewise um, it, it will not spread underneath blocks so if if you reach a wall and you moss if you bone uh, meal moss right next to it it's not going to spread to the blocks below it's kind of like um i think podzol will do that where if you've got it on a certain level you kind of you, you, you grow one of those giant spruce trees one block lower than the surface level of the grass and you get this surface gets covered and then you take that away and there's also pods all underneath sometimes. Like it doesn't right. work like that at all. It, it won't replace even stone and stuff that's underneath the walls around either side, which is why I dug out that one chunk perimeter to begin with. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I had to grow a couple of spruce trees on stream this weekend because I ran out of wood and uh the the podzol jumped over a stone border like i had done like my yeah. square and my road and i had grown the tree on on the grass but i still grew it too close to where i had put a bunch of coarse dirt and all the coarse dirt got coarse turned into into podzol which is fine like it's not a big deal yeah but i was just like oh you know like now i there's one more thing i have to fix <laughs> yeah. and uh because that's what i was thinking about i was like thinking about how easy it is to get podzol now that they've done that in the game i can't remember when that change came in it was a while ago though and and to use moss like that, um, I was I mean it's cool that you went with the diamond root and neat that there's a change this week so that the tool that you need is actually less expensive than an axe. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I was thinking like if if it was early game and you weren't necessarily looking for you know diamonds but you just wanted to find like more iron or whatever and the one iron tool that you had like you didn't want to wear that down mining through tons and tons and tons of blocks this might be a good way to like save on the durability of things before you get to the point where you can do enchanting and whatnot i was i watched your video uh, this morning over breakfast and it like it was really interesting to see it was fun because i was I, I could hear how surprised you were <laughs> it's like this mm -hmm. is actually working <laughs> I was like, cool. Like, uh, it's neat. Like, I like that it gives players options like that. It's just, it's not like you said. It's not necessarily the most efficient. But like, if you're in a pinch, or if you if you're just looking to do something, 
I don't know, specific or if you want a lot of moss blocks at the same time you want a hole, but you don't necessarily need the thing that's in the hole. Like you don't need the deep slate. You don't need the stone. You want moss and bone meal and, you know, other things. And like, hey, it could be a win-win. Yeah, and as I mentioned in the video itself, there are already folks from the technical community looking into ways you can automate that because moss will be broken when pushed with a piston in the same way that leaves and stuff will. So mm -hmm. if you set up a flying machine that comes back over an area, you just walk around bone mealing it and then, you know, growing the moss that way because you can't really, in Java at least, you can't push anything that's going to automatically bone meal stuff for you. So you would you know, just have to have a flying machine that maybe like Space Invaders style goes down one level when it reaches, you know, the end and then comes back along. And by that time, you've run ahead of it and bone mealed all of the area so that all you need to do is run around this whole area. The machine follows you, breaking everything. And then, you know, from there, you end up with a perimeter for a witch farm or something like that. There's there's a lot of work involved still, but it's certainly a way of bypassing the need to get a beacon and i did have a few people saying like you know this clearly isn't going to replace mining like why are you even doing this and like you said it's just having an alternative that's fascinating to me it's just doing something that's kind of off the beaten path a little way that is is part of the the fascination with this kind of process so yeah well, i've been been messing around with that this week and i don't think that beacons are going to be all that practical depending on where you are going to try to use them like even if you could instamine deep slate with a beacon do you still have to dig through how much to get that beacon exposed to this to the air? Yeah, right? like you'd have to you'd have to do a lot of work. Planting the beacon as far down in the world as possible because the radius extends from the beacon beam itself rather than right. it being a fifty block bubble. It's a fifty block kind of like cylinder, I guess, or mm -hmm. like a hot dog shape if you imagine that, uh, because yeah. it's going to round out at the bottom of the beacon. And I think people find that when they are, if they try like branch mining over a large area, then you run out of the radius of haste really quickly. And then you realize that strip mining the area is going to be much more effective because you can do that in a bubble around where the beacon is. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, in deep slate levels, Moss is actually kind of winning out in that respect, as long as you don't want the deep slate to work with afterwards. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and speaking of all of that, we've uh, we've got a new snapshot this week. Uh, it's a little bit of a different snapshot, this one. It, it focuses a lot on, uh, you know, some parity changes and changes to existing features rather than anything new. But let's roll through the snapshot changelog and, uh, and see what's up with that. So we have snapshot 21W11A for Java edition. New features including lightning rods can now, for the very first time ever, be waterlogged. I think this has appeared in several other changelogs and, and just hasn't been implemented for some reason. So maybe that's why they've kind of emphasized that one. Uh, there is new functionality for applying and removing wax from copper blocks. Bone mealing rooted dirt now grows hanging roots underneath. Uh, so waxing copper and oxidization, this is, you know, something that's been workshopped a little bit by the community suggesting ideas. So we can now right click with honeycomb on copper blocks to wax them. You can use honeycomb in a dispenser to wax copper blocks. Axes can scrape off wax and oxidation of copper blocks and lightning strikes hitting copper will clean the oxidation off. I believe that's something that happens in the natural world when lightning strikes a copper lightning rod. Um, Speaking of lightning rods, a couple of changes to those, obviously. Uh, changes in 21W11A include waxed copper blocks can now be crafted back into four copper ingots. Cave sizes have been slightly tweaked, including increasing the frequency of diamond ore blobs. Uh, hanging roots blocks now render randomly offset from the, uh, the rooted dirt. Uh, breaking a big drip leaf stem now drops a big drip leaf block. 
Moss blocks can now be crafted with cobblestone or stone bricks to make the mossy versions of those blocks. The facing direction of small drip leaf blocks is now determined by which direction the player is facing while placing it. And fully grown amethyst clusters now drop four amethyst shards or more with fortune when you mine them with a pickaxe, but they still drop two amethyst shards when broken by hand using a piston or other means. A couple of technical changes in 21W11A include an F3 and L shortcuts to generate and persist performance metrics from in-game. So this in-game client metrics reporting allows you to start a recording for 10 seconds capturing metrics such as tick durations, used heap sizes, and other more detailed stats. These get saved to a zip file in a debug profiling folder on your hard drive and can be used for performance regression analysis if included in bug reports. Uh, this is a quote directly from the changelog. Uh, the exact metrics, output format, and names are susceptible to change between versions, and our plan is to continue iterating on which metrics to capture. There are a number of fixed bugs in 21W11A. The full list, of course, is on the Minecraft.net article, but a few of note include that tinted glass was suffocating entities inside of it, mobs could spawn in tinted glass, and uh, you couldn't compost glow lichen, Removing the block supporting a spore blossom allowed the spore blossom to float. That's been fixed. Cave vines could not be climbed. They can now. And moss appropriate tool was the axe rather than the hoe, which is the, the new tool for mo uh, mining moss. Uh, in lush cave blocks arriving in the bedrock beta, we have things like generating range and build limits have been expanded to 64 blocks up from 64 blocks down to a total of 384 blocks. Underground features, structures, caves, and all that will generate way down by Y negative 64. Lush cave blocks are added. Uh, we have added several new blocks that will generate in lush caves, but the caves themselves will not be generated in the world just yet. So similar to the snapshot we got a few weeks ago with uh, Java, uh, the lush cave blocks are available in the game, but the, the biome is not generating yet in the natural world. Uh, a bunch of bug fixes and tweaks for copper and lightning rod, uh, many of which are for parity with the Java snapshot. Um, and last but not least, I caught this uh, last minute uh, yesterday. Uh, RT Excellent on Minecraft.net is an article about the world Athra, a Minecraft art piece by Emmanuel. Now, this is an artist that Minecraft.net has uh, touched on before. It's a surreal landscape based on actual microscop uh, microscopic imagery, um, inspired by imagery by Christopher King, who mixed alanine, glutamine, and taurine and took pictures of the results. And some of these results are really magical looking. Uh, some changes in RTX uh, for texture packs like diamonds to get them glowing and other things like that uh, help make this world really stand out. And as an extra treat, Emmanuel, the artist behind Athra, shared his current PC desktop wallpaper, which is a special version made by uh, his friend RILW, and that lights up in response to the audio from his computer, making an alien landscape look like a psychedelic thunderstorm. Like it, it we'll have a link to the YouTube uh, video of Athra and uh, some images from the Minecraft.net article. It is out of this world, and it's just a nice reminder that. Minecraft in the hands of the right artist is a really cool painting tool with 3D elements and procedurally generated tools that at your disposal can help you create some really, really interesting stuff. And RTX just takes it to the next level. 
We were talking about No Man's Sky in the render distance this week, and this looks like the kind of planet that I would want to land on and stay for a very long time if my head could handle the amount of, like, colour and noise that's being thrown at me. But yeah, fascinating. And like you said, it's it's so cool to see people using Minecraft more as an artistic canvas, because we get so stuck into the mechanics of the gameplay and playing it as a survival game that sometimes it's... It's easy to forget that there are such creative people out there capable of doing stuff like this. The renders of it are spectacular, and I expect in RTX it's just going to really come alive. So, yeah, I, I, I cannot be more impressed with, with what Emmanuel has done here. That's really quite cool. Yeah, if you want some inspiration, I would encourage you to read the whole article and seek out uh, Christopher King and Emmanuel's other work and just kind of like take a, a bounce around because they even joke in the Minecraft.net article about like, we've built our fair share of castles and walls and dirt huts and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, I kind of, I feel like I've been stuck in that cycle for quite a while. And it's really cool to see this sort of thing. We've been toying around a lot on the Citadel. I've even had a conversation on Twitter recently about someone that's a big Star Wars fan. And, and hey, like, have you ever thought about doing a sci-fi zone on the Citadel? And the answer is yes. But then you're kind of floored by the amount of work and the amount of uh, of stuff that you'd have to do and want to do in order to make it really unique. You know, like it turns into, instead of just doing sci-fi buildings, like you're kind of going to be doing some biome construction. Like it is a massive undertaking. If you want to do something like this that really feels alien, uh, and it's the one time in the last little while that I've really felt the need to like, oh, if I did this, I'd really want to do creative in Bedrock with RTX. Like I just, I, I would love to play in that world, you know, for this kind of thing uh, as an artist. It's just it's really, really cool. I do wonder how much of this was done using third-party tools in Java and then maybe imported to Bedrock for touching up because I can't mm -hmm. imagine, I don't know what tools are really available from the community for editing bedrock worlds on large scales but i can't imagine hand placing all of the blocks i don't think that's the way this has been generated somehow and maybe there's commands involved and maybe there's a couple of other bits and pieces but yeah i i can't imagine much of this was done without access to stuff like you know world painter and a few plugins that would help speed yeah. the process along somewhat because it's just vast looking at the closer up screenshots of some of this compared to the scale of the overall thing is is just it's quite a comparison because it it holds up up close as well the detail put into some of the trees and these structure like buildings is yeah really quite fascinating so definitely worth a check out if, if you if you look if you click on one uh link in the show notes this week i recommend clicking on uh, on rt excellent um, I'll touch briefly on the Bedrock Edition beta because I put that in the show notes earlier having uh, found that. The um, the Bedrock Edition is, is moving forward in terms of Caves and Cliffs progression. Obviously now we're starting to see beyond the fact that they've got uh, mountains in the game which Java doesn't yet. They've started to merge some of the features over from what the Java team has been working on and prioritizing. So we have a bit of a, worker in, uh, a working in of... Uh, lower levels of the world into caves and whatnot. The The problem being right now, the caves don't match Java generation. They're just existing cave generation from Bedrock Edition extending down another 64 blocks. And Bedrock doesn't have spectator mode, so it's not really possible to kind of clip through the landscape and take a look around. But what I was able to do while I was playing around a little bit was um, I had RTX enabled, so this might have helped with the view, but I was in creative mode, I teleported myself to a random set of coordinates, and it was 
wedged into a block, but because my head was occupying a block space, I was able to kind of see through X-ray style into the rest of the environment. And it was still all of the old kind of long, thin, spaghetti-type caves all the way down to Y64. So there's no caverns down there yet. There's no noise caves. Um, and there's no deep slate yet either. There are occasional flooded caves, but there isn't any of the newer kind of cavernous generation that we've already seen in Java. Obviously, that will change as, you know, things move forward. But in terms of introducing the height to the world, they've started by just adding that block space and making sure cave generation continues down into negative coordinates rather than by going the whole hog and adding all of the extra new cave generation stuff. Um, the main reason I wanted to do it was to try out lush caves and... It took a little bit of fiddling around with the PBR texture packs to get glowberries actually glowing in Minecraft RTX because um, obviously the native experience of RTX doesn't include all of the emission data and roughness and metallic data that needs to be added into the texture, into the resource pack before RTX will be able to respond to that information and allow it to be illuminated. It's why a few people, I think, logged in with Minecraft RTX when, you know, it was still a basic beta for it and there was only one resource pack available for it and went, why don't furnaces glow externally when they light up and that kind of thing? And it was just because the data wasn't there for those blocks. Now that you have resource packs that you can add, you can control a lot more of that stuff yourself. So with a bit of fiddling and some help from folks on Twitter, I was able to find what the uh the glowberry plant with berries on it was called uh because i just had to find the right block name and from there i was able to jerry rig a uh a texture for glowberries that would allow them to glow it looks pretty it really does look very very pretty there's just a, a warm kind of yellow light coming from them which i think is is quite pleasing in a lush cave environment i've got a screenshot that i can drop into the show notes for everybody as well and yeah i think it it turns out like a really nice environment. I'm looking forward to finding lush caves in RTX now, just because mm. stumbling upon that in a natural cave environment is going to look very pretty. Yeah, especially with all once you get all like the the green moss and like everything else around them, it'll be very very cool. I out of curiosity, uh, since they added the functionality, I think it was last week with the rendering engine in Java. Um, have you seen any other community built shader packs or or um, animation things like you know waving water, waving trees? Like, have you seen anything like that? Like, there was the one developer one that that kind of went out as an example. But have you seen anything else coming down the pipes? Uh, in the community aside from the one I think I mentioned, Eldrion's uh, sort of mist um, right. resource pack. But aside from that, not really. I I think maybe that's something people are going to wait to play around with until we're a few more stages down the line and some of these features feel a little bit more baked in, you know, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's only just been introduced last week. So I don't know how people are going yeah. to start using that stuff. And I, I don't know really like, I, I don't know enough about the world of shaders to know how sophisticated it can get, but that's really going to be down to just community effort and, and mining all of that stuff for, yeah. uh, for, for whatever people want to use it for. For me, the, the appeal there is, less the you know how complicated it gets and and more on the other side like what if you don't want sunbeams and shadows and like but but you do want just a couple of things moving you know like i feel like there could be an opportunity there for people to enjoy some of the things that they think look really neat about shaders without having to have this 
crazy curated shader pack that's gen- like generated by somebody else and then that's you either take it or leave it you know it would be mm-hmm. neat if some of this stuff was piecemeal in the same way that i can take some of the textures from vanilla tweaks i can take some of the textures that i like you know that our friend you know whip has made i can make some of my own textures and create my own little kind of layered sandwich of of textures that i play with in the game and i i could yes combine them all into one pack i just find it easier to keep keep organized if i have them as separate and it doesn't seem to affect um performance to have like four or five texture packs later on top of each other especially when the ones at the top are very small like you know just the glass just my tools like that kind of thing yeah um i just it makes me when i think about the the texture packs that are implemented like you said for rtx and all the complicated stuff there um it just kind of makes me wonder what kind of a we'll call it a, a renaissance to think positively we might be entering into once 117 is out bedrock and java have caught up to one another and you know the the rendering stuff is final and and these people have some months you know these outside developers have a month to mess with things and have some fun i just it's just going to be so neat to see what happens with rtx and the new biomes and especially if we get any more bioluminescence as you've been you know talking about for the last few weeks like any kind of like glowing mushrooms or anything like that is just going to be so neat yeah, I haven't messed around with glow lichen in RTX yet. I don't think. Um, yeah, the 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 pack I was using before hadn't updated to compensate for some of the new stuff that was being added in the betas, which I think they now have. So there's new ore textures and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I expect glow lichen and glow berries are going to play a big part in illuminating cave environments naturally, and then beyond that. I expect you can still do some of the same tricks with them. Like if I put some glow berries behind a wall of stained glass, they would probably still light up the area slightly more whatever color stained glass I used. So there's there's a yeah. lot to a lot to be said for that. Let's uh, circle back to the Java snapshot though. I didn't really play around with this one much because it seemed like more quality of life changes than like big features and my whole thing with the snapshots has been trying out the survival experience and i thought the main thing in this one really is getting hold of copper blocks waxing them and watching them age and then unwaxing them and all of that stuff i wasn't really gonna be able to play around with in survival because it takes so long to age them in the first place and then waiting for a storm to happen so i could see the 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 thunder uh, you know the, the lightning kind of clearing off the um the oxidation from blocks like forget about it chances of that happening in a a temporary survival world are slim to none so i i decided against exploring it myself but did, did you get into the snapshot at all and and do you have any thoughts about the changes they've made i've only watched the snapshot through third party videos and and stuff uh, i was looking forward to trying to do another snap uh, like a snapshot world this week but again like just it wasn't the right snapshot to do that in um, but, you know, friend of the show, uh, Eximovoid, did a really good video. I, I really enjoy his coverage of it. And I I like the changes. Like, I think that a lot of the things that they've made in terms of the changing to how you wax copper, how you can use dispensers to wax, wax copper, how you can take an oxidized copper block and turn it back into copper ingots. Like, it, it takes the... Yes, I mean, sure, you still have to wait for it to be oxidized. That's a game mechanic. They're obviously sticking to it. But they're giving you an undo button right <laughs> yes if, if, if yeah if you if you want stage three and you screw up and you're on the phone with your grandma and you come back and it's at stage four and you're like crap i just i don't want 200 of these blocks that i don't want to use in this build 
you can just start over. Like you can mm-hmm. just mine them up, turn them into ingots, and start over again. And I think that's really cool. Uh, I, I think that that gives the players a lot of flexibility. Um, the lightning rod thing is just like, okay, neat. But like, I mean, unless you, again, it's a flex. It's like we were talking about in the render distance. Like it's one of those things like, sure, if you're going to use lightning rods to change your copper blocks to different colors, then like, Good on you, but I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are on your own, my friend. I think that's that's uh, more like a realistic sort of almost physics simulation kind of thing of like, this is what yeah. happens in the natural world. It's in the same way of like, if you feed a cookie to a parrot, it dies kind of thing. Like, it's almost like yep. an Easter egg at that stage rather than the mechanic that I think people would rely on. There's no real yeah. need to do that. But uh, even then, I, it also bears mentioning, by the way, that a lot of these changes were the ones that we saw in a Bedrock Edition beta when... If not when copper blocks were added to Bedrock, then at least like the next beta after that introduced all of these quality of life changes. We covered them on the show and then said, all right, now put these in Java, please, because it just seemed to to work out pretty well. I think the axes scraping off the patina from copper blocks is new. I don't think that was in the Bedrock beta, but at least being able to right-click them with honeycomb, wax them using dispensers, that stuff was from, from Bedrock, and I'm very glad that it's now in Java. It's it's the quality of life changes we've been hoping for for copper. Yeah, yeah. And again, it, it creates another cool thing to do for the technical players. You know, like You want to set up some observers watching a key block, you know, and then when that changes... It'll, you know, cue the rest of your, you know, dispensers to wax copper blocks in a row because they're all going to be at the right stage or whatever, um, provided you've placed them all at the right time. Uh, you know, I think that that's a, it just creates another cool farm to, to, to build. You know, it's an, another cool thing for players to do. Um, I'm on board with all those changes. I like the changes to the mossy blocks as well, like using um, a hoe to... Um, mine up the mossy block is good because the more blocks that the hoe is used for the more viable of a tool it becomes you know we are already have to use it for i believe um not is it hyphae crimson no it's warped the stem warp blocks uh nether warp and, and warped warp blocks use right. use a hoe sponges yeah. moss leaves. now leaves yeah exactly like yeah so, somebody pointed out in the moss mining video when i was using an axe for it that the axe is usually used for wooden materials and denser materials whereas something like leaves where it's kind of like an airy organic kind of block like moss would be it kind of makes more logical sense it feels more intuitive to use a hoe for that and farmland and grass and that kind yeah, of stuff yeah so i no, think I um yeah either that or the shovel was kind of going to be my first port of call the axe did seem strange but i was like sure okay i guess it's an organic thing so it makes sense but uh, yeah the hoe seems a little bit more viable uh one other thing to note about that is that when i was trading for diamond axes to do my moss mining session i was getting enchanted diamond axes from that weaponsmith because they would come with I think efficiency three and if i'd got unbreaking obviously they would have lasted a bit longer but i think when you trade for diamond hose from is it the toolsmith one of the villagers gives you diamond hose as one of the the final trades i don't think those come enchanted so there isn't necessarily a mm. as easy an opportunity to get hold of like an unbreaking tool to do some kind of heavy duty moss mining stuff with but that's by the by i think at that point you could maybe enchant it with unbreaking one in a basic enchantment table and be fine Um, yeah 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 i i I really 
I, I really like Moss Blocks. The more that I, I hear about them and the changes that they're making to them, the more that I want to mess with them in a survival build sort of situation, especially with landscaping and, and that kind of cool stuff. Oh, but yeah. One, one thing I'm excited about is I no longer will have to have these janky vine farms in order to make mossy cobble and mossy stone brick. I hmm. am very much looking to just putting down a Moss Block, hitting bone meal on a bunch of stone and going, look, <laughs> I can now create a bunch of mossy bricks yeah. with this stuff. Like I just that it makes sense. And, and I think it's going to work re- really well. One thing I'm a little embarrassed to, to, to say is that I haven't, to my recall, put moss blocks next to mossy cobble and mossy bricks. Do they, do they look really good together? Is the, it, is the moss on the bricks the same color as the moss block? Yeah, I think it, roughly speaking, is. And I think it was the, the mossy cobblestone was made a little bit brighter in the texture sort of reset that happened in, in 1.14. Um with with some of those being redesigned and i'm trying to find i did a <laughs> i did a, an experiment with this when i was making that kind of oasis when moss blocks were added at first and yeah the the, the mossy cobblestone maybe it's like a little bit lighter but it does blend quite nicely with the moss as an environment like it it blends with that and with green concrete powder which is the other block i was using around there pretty well so yeah i, th- I think it's it's a decent fit and it does seem like the the blocks combine pretty well, from what I can tell. Nice, yeah. I just a lot of these technical changes just speak to me as just not. I shouldn't say technical, but like a lot of these gameplay changes, they just seem to me like quality of life. You know, you're going to be you have more options as a player. Yeah. So the the main thing that's concerning me now, and having played again survival in some of the snapshots for a, a little while here, is I'm still on the fence about the scarcity of exposed ore blocks. And in particular, iron. Um, during my moss mining experiment, I it took a long time to find iron in survival. Even when I was going into deeper caves, I was getting down to about Y16 or so in caves, and I didn't find any iron for the longest time. The the place I ended up finding it, I went, I swam into an aquifer because I'd heard they were experimenting with putting more ore blocks on the surface there so that you know strategy for mining and all of that stuff like you could you you spent a little bit more time diving for it but i was not expecting to have to go into an aquifer with a door to create air pockets to find my first blocks of iron ore and i gather that they are you know they're around all of the the walls of the caves and stuff if you dig through some of those you're more likely to dig into a pocket of iron but honestly i don't think branch mining or strip mining for iron with stone tools sounds particularly fun to me like i feel like the only thing that made branch mining really viable or or not viable but at least like worthwhile feeling was having iron tools already so the time to break on stone is not too bad and then the promise of finding diamonds being such a huge tool upgrade i think that was really the draw of really branch mining in the early stages of the game instead of caving for diamonds and I feel like if we're branch mining for iron using stone now, it's just going to feel like everything slows down for players who are more experienced with the game and have been playing since, you know, earlier updates. I think maybe for people who are newer, then they're not going to notice that as much because it's like, oh, okay, iron is something I have to search a little bit harder for. That's fine. But I feel like players who are already in the game don't necessarily want obstructions to them getting geared up with at least an iron pickaxe are going to find that a little bit hard to uh, hard to deal with. I feel like just out of bad luck, my 116 snapshot playthrough or release playthrough when I was trying to get to the nether and experience new content, I just did not find iron very quickly. 
off the get-go lots of coal but really had a hard time finding iron and i i remember starting to feel frustrated on stream i just like yeah this is not i want to go faster than this like i understand i i want to work for it but i don't want it to be this slow mm -hmm. and i again like it was back then it was just bad luck you know just you're not mining in the right spot um but yeah i'm i'm curious about that and we actually have an email to the effect of like how the the, the seeking out of ores and things might change uh, so what do you think we we jump into that absolutely let's do it so we're going to have a couple emails this week, one of which I'm going to bump down into our uh, main discussion because I thought it was a, a really cool email. But the first one is from, from Coffee Lemon about new mining strategies. Dear Joel and Johnny, with Mojang changing the distribution of ores, I was wondering how mining strategies will change now depending on the type of player. For example, casual players will either dig a, a couple of different y-axes to gain materials, like myself, dig the world's biggest staircase and hit every single y-axis on the way down. However, more technical players might only dig on the diamond level because they can get every ore through the various means in those areas. What do you think, Coffee Lemon? Uh, I you I think you were heading in this direction with with your notes on on the ore distribution, Johnny. So what like how do you feel mining is going to change with 117? So I think for once we're going to be going upwards to look for some things instead of downwards because copper uh, not copper uh, coal starts to generate much more frequently in mountainous terrain now and uh, at higher elevations especially with the new mountains but i think even in the old kind of extreme hill style mountains you start to see larger veins of coal the higher you get and i i forget what the graphic says about where those levels start but i think you're going to be looking for specific biomes more in order to get certain types of resources i mean specifically for emerald as well you're going to find loads of emerald at really high mountainous elevations but i don't think many people go mining for emerald ore <laughs> although that may just be because of scarcity i don't know um i think copper mining is going to be the one that remains popular even though i think what coffee lemon is implying here is that technical players are going to set up an iron farm instead of digging for iron too much because if digging for iron is now harder then it kind of incentivizes you to find works ways to work around that a little bit sooner instead of just starting you know uh, a mine for iron in the early days i think yeah the the copper mining stuff is still going to be fairly balanced because the only way to get copper is through the drowned and drowned farms are a real pain to set up especially in the early game and relatively slow to use once you have them even in late game. As far as what I get in terms of gold ingots out of my drowned farm right now, because they're a rare drop, they're like iron ingots from zombies, it's, you know, maybe a stack of gold per probably two or three double chests of rotten flesh. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it is, but in terms of the odds, it's fairly, fairly close to that. So people are still going to want to mine for copper if they want to use that for building or for lightning rods spyglasses whatever other uses copper tends to have and so i think that's going to very much be a case of finding that 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 y-axis of highest density as indicated by those peaks in mojang's graphics that they've been releasing about ore distribution each time um you're going to be finding people strip mining or branch mining in those like high density areas right at least that's how it appears to me and if you're if you're mining for iron, gold, lapis, I think all of that is going to rely on finding the peak area for those ores and just carving a big old swath through those. Do you think that's how you're going to approach it, Joel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that B 
because Mojang is giving this information out and you're not just left to your own devices until they, unless they say like, hey, we've tweaked it further, but then they don't reveal the graph. Like if they don't give that information, uh, then really they're probably just going to, you know, you'd end up with a bunch of players that would go into creative mode in, in a survival world and empty out the, the non-or blocks in a, in, a, in a chunk or three and just kind of like take note of where everything is. And then I think you'll just end up with a new diamond level like or or perhaps what we'll end up with uh is as you said like lapis level gold level iron level diamond level redstone level like if you want x mine at y you know pardon the pun yeah uh and, and i and i think that's probably what's going to happen and you'll have some technical players that'll make how-to videos and things like that about where you can get the most and, and all that kind of thing um i don't see myself outside of the initial survival experience mining for much iron because you know if i if i'm doing a long-term survival world on my own i'm more than likely going to try to set up an iron farm pretty quickly um just because I, I like I, I like having that resource available writ large um i i think there are other alternatives as well to things for gold like you can hit your zombie pigment farms and, and things like that so I, with the actual mining experience though I, I mean, obviously, Mojang wants players to be exploring and having the excitement of finding these things more organically. Like, they don't want you to make the villager iron farm so much as... I shouldn't say don't want. They, they're hoping the early game experiences you exploring these brand new caves, finding exciting ore veins, getting excited about, like, those big veins that they're talking about, the big clusters and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like... In order to do that, I think they might have to dial back some of their less exposure to air. Um, I understand why they did it in terms of like your experience. When, you know, when you first went into the, the, the cheese caves in the in Deep Slate, I think it was still um, the other name at the time. Um, but there was just a lot of diamonds and a lot of iron and stuff exposed in the walls because of the exposure to air being so high. Mm -hmm. And I think changing that helps in terms of the discovery and the the forcing the player to dig but i feel like you have to at least have that that shiny glint on the wall that gets you started and uh, if you don't have that at all i feel like that's going to start to get frustrating yeah because uh, sorry go ahead i i think the way it should work really is that the higher likelihood of like the, the higher the density gets the more iron generates in an area the less of it generates on the surface so we still get some generating on the surface like i almost feel like air exposure should be inversely proportional to density <laughs> you know like the, right you, you should find like one or two iron at the less dense levels but find it on the surface or at least in in the walls of caves you know it find it exposed to the air and then the further you get down once you get to like iron rich territory then by all means have less of it exposed to the air but have a ton more of it so that then it's worth mining for i feel like having yeah. a, a a linear air exposure just means that people aren't finding any of it on the surface when you just want one iron ingot for a shield the last couple of times i've got that i basically scrounged it together from iron nuggets that i found in a, an abandoned nether portal you know and right, I, I don't yeah. think that's how mojang wants you to be finding your first iron it's an option don't get me wrong and and you know i'm going to talk a little bit later about what the intended you know path is through minecraft and what mojang quote unquote wants which i feel like is just any approach the player can come up with but i think in theory you're going to be looking for iron as ores primarily and 
I think finding your first iron in any other way is going to feel a little bit strange. But I was forced to the last couple of times I played in a snapshot. So it's it's a, a different landscape, and I'm not certain that changes for the better yet. No, I, I agree. And to um, go back and reflect on an, an email conversation I think we had a few weeks ago about the pace at which players play Minecraft now compared to how they used to, uh, to it's a bit of a stereotype but i find that there is a, a bit of impatience out there uh in, in some minecraft players and if you're bombing through caves just looking for that iron so you can do your speed run or you can do whatever and you're not finding it i don't know how many players are going to stop and try to look for it and dig versus just continue to run continue to not see any and continue to get more frustrated you know yeah. i feel like that pace is going to hurt you in the long run in terms of your enjoyability if things stay the same uh, i like your idea of the sparser an area is with iron or whatever or the closer to the surface it should be as far as exposure to air whereas yeah. if if it's denser and there's a lot of iron then it's going to be worth your while to dig into the mountain i think that's a good way to to balance it rather than a linear uh linear exposure for sure yeah. uh, uh before we move on from this i think in the moss mining video i suggested a newer approach to branch mining where you you still dig out the branch pattern manually but then you can spam the floor with moss and then replicate the same branch pattern downwards using moss blocks and you're still covering a wide area like you do with a branch mine but then replacing the floor with an instaminable block and then oh nice you know dropping the floor level basically each time because i feel like the problem with branch mining now is that you're mining on one y level and that's the optimal level to find diamonds but if diamonds are spread over a broader range of y-axis levels then you're still going to miss out on more diamonds unless you're digging at the very bottom of the world. Very bottom of the world is also where we're going to be finding the Deep Dark and the Warden when those arrive. So potentially in terms of overall balance, it's going to be easier to start a branch mine and then dig down rather than to continue the branch mine laterally in some areas because the diamond density is just going to get richer and richer as you go further down in the world. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm still planning on trying that out as a method and seeing how well we do with that in a survival world. Might do that on stream this week sometime maybe because I think that's potentially going to improve on the moss mining idea a little bit. And there will be different approaches to mining that every type of player takes, uh, which, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting time. And depending on what the final ore generation looks like, you'll definitely see that information shared around really fast. I think even if Mojang doesn't release an ore distribution graphic like they have been doing in the snapshots people are usually fairly quick to run some sort of analysis on a minecraft world to find out exactly how much of each block is available at which level and mm -hmm. that, that that stuff like statistically speaking is interesting to people and that gets them you know a, a bit of clout for being the first person to find it and and you know the info gets posted on the minecraft wiki and then everybody knows it so i don't think it's in their interests to necessarily conceal that information from players unless they specifically want players to go digging for it because we're gonna find it anyway and then the most efficient diamond mine ever can be made in whatever level of the underground i think you're gonna find the with the obsession that players have and how multiplayer is often multiplayer servers often use diamonds as currency uh i feel like you're going to find this new diamond level you know like instead of y11 it's going to be y negative whatever that happens to be and i think what will end up being like the general player happy place is wherever diamonds are being generated 
but you're not yet going to be exposed to the deep dark. So if the deep dark is between negative 64 and negative 32, then negative 36 is going to be the new diamond level because it's mm-hmm. where you can go horizontally and just not have a risk of running into the warden unless you end up in like an open cave where you could end up like falling out of the wall. Kind of like going through the nether when you hit like a, a wall that just kind of exposes you to a big lava lake. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like whatever that new diamond level is going to be, it's going to be where you can get the most diamonds before you start to run into player disruptions things like the deep dark or any other kind of hazard. yeah m- most diamonds fewest obstacles is what we're aiming mm-hmm. for yeah. um this actually ties in really nicely to the topic i wanted to bring to this week's round table and i know you had another email that you wanted to get back to for your topic but if it's all right with you i'm gonna go right into what i wanted to bring to the table this week oh 100 yeah let's go so i've been thinking about uh intended gameplay and how often we stray from that path obviously the moss mining thing has kind of prompted this but this is perhaps better expressed as how often do we use mechanics which aren't intuitive but turn out to be really effective so straying from what the game sort of prompts you to do just by the materials that are in the world around you and how you would expect to interact with them from the real world and then how often do we stray into stuff that might not be necessarily like the casual experience of things but turns out to be a really effective way and i wanted to ask you what what do you feel like you do in minecraft that isn't the intended way of doing it hmm i realize this is putting you on the spot a little bit so no 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 um well i mean i can just run through the examples that pop into my head so right now uh, technically we have a couple of command blocks in the server so i'm using that to bop around just to, because it would just take forever to go through the nether. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm using the nether for travel as intended. I feel like a lot of what we've done has been setting up farms for efficiency, for like repairing stuff. Um, but I guess like that that falls into that realm of like, well, it's in the game and it's just behind an awful lot of work. So if you want a gold farm, if you want you know, a creeper farm, like it, you're going to need to dig out big holes and do a lot of work. Uh, not intended as the path. I'd say the biggest thing that, that I felt off the beaten path early on in the Citadel was setting up the iron farm. Yeah. Cause that was back when you had to place doors upon doors and (laughs) and try to get things to spawn in these weird floating platforms above like it it, it, any anytime you looked at it uh in a technical video from someone you know uh, like il mango or whoever on on youtube or tango Tango tech yeah tango tech it would just it would just be this floating mess of like bare minimum blocks because of course in the video they want to show off the mechanics and where you have to place things and stuff like that now on the server on the citadel we've made ours look like a treehouse kind of structure and it, it sort of blends into the sur- surroundings a bit uh in terms of our initial dartmouth meadows kind of aesthetic so it's not like a giant eyesore uh, but i did feel kind of odd going down that route because the, the moment that i did that Anytime I found iron in the world mining, I would just walk by it because, like, I don't need it. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have, I had iron literally falling from the sky, you know, with the iron farm. And, and so that, I think, was probably the biggest departure at first. Um, everything else, I feel like, has been pretty straightforward. Uh, I, I also, um, I think maybe the villager farms. That's another one where, and I think this is where I'm starting to see a through point, uh, a through point now, and that's, sort of the make easy button 
Yeah. You know, like I don't want to grow wheat and harvest it myself, nor do I want to do that with potatoes, carrots, beets, or anything else. So the fact that you can have these pressure plates with the right light level and a villager that has an inventory full of carrots will always sort of plant more carrots and excess carrots just go down into a hopper and into our system. Now, it's one of the coolest things that I'm the most proud of on Dartmouth Meadows is is the underground sewer system that takes all of our produce and puts it in a giant greenhouse that we can then trade with villagers in the villager hall. But the mechanic of those farmers constantly walking around <laughs> in this little thing, trying to plant stuff and constantly be, it's like that, um, I can't remember what those box toys are, where like you flip the switch and then the hand comes out of the box and flips the switch and closes the door again. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like it's just, it's, it's the, those kind of toys. That's what the poor villager is doing forever. You yeah. know? And I feel like that, that's those are two mechanics in the game where yes it's in the game i feel like it's technical players kind of exploiting a behavior that was probably not intended uh or it was not intended by mojang but because it's now so popular they kind of leave it in you know yeah and and i think this is this is interesting there's a couple of people in our chat suggesting these things as well recruiters also suggesting like the uh automatic villager harvesting crop farms uh seshi summon saying creating trading halls seems like an unintended thing because you'd imagine that villagers are meant to live in the environments that you find them they've got their own houses and it's kind of a a, a, sim- a simulacrum of society but then you know the way villagers tend to be used by players is to put them in a box that you can rely upon to return to on a regular basis so that you don't have to track down that one villager in all of the villagers in your town who has the potato trade or whatever and so yeah there's a few examples there um yeah some people are questioning you know what is intended really it's a sandbox but i feel like the world gives you stuff which you are meant to intuit from your surroundings like the fact that you can find iron in the walls of caves therefore that should be how you acquire iron that that's sort of the assumed functionality of minecraft compared to the way we make iron farms i think mob farms are probably the most popular example of this taking advantage of what may be intended mechanics but probably using them in unintended ways so the mechanic of three villagers being scared by a zombie and producing an iron golem makes sense in the context of them having a village to live in because then they need to summon some sort of defense to make sure they don't get zombified themselves and then as players what we do is set up a a circumstance where those villagers are scared by a zombie regularly they have all of the requirements for them to be seen as a village unit but then we put the iron golem in a situation where it cannot possibly survive and so the villagers need to keep reproducing the golem from the perceived threat of the zombie that's not intended it just happens to work out and it was something that was i guess developed with in in a dialogue between technical players and the developers about how easy it should be or hard it should be to create iron golems to begin with um i feel like builders do more with like unintended uses of gameplay features than we expect or that we realize like i think using functional blocks like fences and trap doors as details in a build that's an unintended use of those blocks in theory i mean mm-hmm. you you can maybe say that developers put this stuff in the game because players can do whatever they want with them but realistically those things have a function you know trapdoors are meant to be entrances and exits to something 
Uh, but then technical players will use them to trap mobs because we know mobs will walk over them. Um, you know, fences and fence gates get used to detail walls and, you know, outline windows on builds and that kind of thing. But realistically, they are meant to keep animals in an area and have a, a fence gate as something that you use to enter and exit or, or bring the animals in and out. But then I feel like builders just use those to whatever effect they can as you know branches of trees or various other details i think when i was moss mining it came upon me that like i i wasn't mining in a particularly conventional way but i was still doing it in a way that seemed relatively effective you know it didn't seem like a futile effort i was still getting the resources i wanted in terms of the ores and you couldn't imagine anybody using moss in the real world to mine for resources like that's not a thing and so mm. I feel like emergent gameplay is such a um, yeah, an exciting concept, and it's one of the things that keeps Minecraft so fresh, is that every time these new features are introduced, players find unintended ways to take advantage of intended mechanics. Moss is a good example. I think the mechanics, when they introduce them, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about how developers can allow for emergent gameplay, because I feel like if you plan for features like this then those are now intended features but i think so much of what the community does with minecraft comes from unintended consequences so i think just giving mechanics a broad reach is a start you're introducing mechanics that can easily extend to future features or be used in a variety of ways and i feel like once again campfires are my favorite example of this where you know, you can use them to cook food and provide light, but then you find builders using them as trellises because you can extinguish them and they look really nice as like a, a kind of shelter for a porch area or something like that. You find people using them for various different things. Um, then they get expanded to using, having interactions with beehives later and, you know, people using smoke to send signals to each other and write words in the sky and that kind of thing. I feel like just giving us simple mechanics that have a broader reach like that is the way that emergent gameplay starts to happen that and unexpected functionality like adding redstone capabilities that thing to things that don't simply imply redstone power by just existing like the lectern for example like being able to do stuff with the lectern even though yeah the mechanics were put in intentionally i feel like it doesn't necessarily imply by its existence, hey, you can use this to do cool stuff with redstone power. But then, you know, maybe the lightning rod is another good example of this. Like, the fact that it gets struck by lightning, sure, that generates electric current. And and what players can do with that is still going to be a, a really interesting thing to me. And I think skulk sensors are really the new one of these. Because, yes, we have... A fairly powerful system in that comparators can detect what kind of sound is being made in tandem with a skulk sensor and the sensor itself can detect your footsteps at a distance but then i really think enriching that by adding the wall mechanic that stops you stops it from hearing your footsteps by allowing players to use this system in such an accurate way that you can set up an array of skulk sensors which will triangulate which button on a nine by nine grid you are pushing <laughs> you know like i i think yeah. there are there are elements like that that keep minecraft feeling so fresh because we are using mechanics that seem off the intended path and i don't know if i really had like a a final point to this but i just think i wanted to express my 
my interest in players still doing stuff like that. I think it's such a such an interesting facet of the game. I like the uh, the example of the lectern. That's a really good example of what you're talking about with, you know, the the number of pages affecting the redstone signal. I think that comparator output like be, a comparator being able to read things like a cauldron, uh, uh, uh the um rotating a item on a item frame giving different redstone signal right like that's the kind of stuff where i feel like it's really while it's intended obviously because it's in the game what the players end up doing with it i find is just so vast and i i I was thinking a lot as you're talking about things like the um daylight sensors and how they have multiple outputs and like the the on the surface intention is just like yeah like if it's daylight it'll emit a signal if it's not it won't but I've used it to create clocks, to create farm timings, to like do all kinds of things with it. And and I feel like, um, what was the other really good use of it? Oh, um, early on in the um, wither skeleton farming phase, um, they were used because they put the player at just the right height. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. See wither skeletons, but nothing else could but, see you. But with not like aggro a... blazes and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember Tango Tech doing that design. So stuff like that, I find is is always really cool. Where like, it's not meant to be a platform. You're not meant to make. I don't know how many hundreds of them you had to make for this floor, this wither skeleton farm. It was a lot, right? Like you're you're meant to craft a few of them and use them in various places. It was not meant to be like, hey, let's make this the entire floor of a build. I mean, mm-hmm. sure you can, but that I don't think was the design mission behind that particular block i don't know and i'd be curious to find out what was the decision in crafting that block to make it that height like why is it less than a slab but more than a trapdoor? was it just for fun was it just to have something different was there the intention of like well we don't have anything at that height let's make it that height because they could have made it a slab right like it could yeah. very easily have been a slab height it could have also been a full block you know and so I'm wondering why they went that road with it. Um, so yeah, it's very, very interesting stuff. I think um, um, my my last example of this is using beds to kill the Ender Dragon. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's if if nothing else in this like love letter to emergent gameplay resonates with you. I think because of the prevalence of speed running and this being a fairly popular method using beds to fight the dragon is not something the first is not the first thing a new player is going to think of right but um i think it's a it's such a familiar example that at this point if i'm fighting the dragon the conventional way people ask me in my twitch chat why are you not using beds (laughs) and i just think this is it's such an odd world that we've we've created this for us but again that's uh, effectively like an afterthought almost like an in-joke that beds explode in dimensions where you couldn't previously set your spawn point and now people use that and for, for a while now it's not an, a new phenomenon at all really but people have used that to kill the final boss of the game <laughs> i think that's that's just such an interesting thing to me and i'm sure there are other games out here like it but i feel like no one quite does emergent gameplay like minecraft does yeah, I, I would agree. So let's uh, circ- circle back around to the, the emails we received this week and let's uh, dive into your roundtable topic. So Jay Pumpoletz has written in with the subject of how many cave biomes. Hi, Joel and Johnny. Firstly, thank you both for the podcast. The content and discussions are great. I listen to you in 20-minute bursts to and from work to make my commute uh, Tuesday morning uh, every episode and uh, it makes Tuesdays a highlight for me. 
I headed over to Pixarif's channel earlier this week to take a look at his coverage of the Lush Cave biome. The new biome looks incredible and I'm really pleased um, for the Mojang team for what they've achieved so far. Don't get me wrong, if the update comes out today with what they've shown so far, I'd be very, very happy. But I've been wondering if the Lush Caves and Dripstone Caves are the only two cave biomes that we'll see. With an update as big as this, I would think it uncharacteristic of Mojang to stop at two cave biomes. I've not considered the deep dark as, as, as a cave biome, but perhaps that's a mistake. My questions to you are, do you think more biomes are coming to caves? If so, what could those biomes be? What would you like to see? Thanks for taking the time to read this and even more thanks if you read it out loud. Happy mining, <laughs> Jay Pumpelets. Enjoy the rest of your drive to work and hopefully we'll see you on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I really like the idea it's one of the things that I've, I've grown to uh, enjoy as a podcaster is the idea of being part of someone's routine it's a it's a very cool feeling because I have it as well like I listen to shows when I'm making dinner like I have daily shows that they're downloaded by the time my dinner time rolls around so it's something I listen to always when I'm prepping for dinner and uh, the idea of being in someone's car on the way to work every Tuesday is really really fun so thanks again for for sharing that it's very very cool Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Always fun to be a part of somebody's routine. Definitely. So I've, I've been thinking about this as well and trying to come up with other biomes for caves. I immediately, of course, go down like the natural world kind of generation, like, you know, ice caves, I think would be very cool. Uh, pardon the, the silly pun there, but like <laughs> think things like that would, would create some interesting dynamics, especially if, if you're treating Minecraft as the fantasy world that it is, where you might have an ice cave spawn under a desert if they're not tied to not do that. You know, like it, it could be really interesting to dive deep into the world and find different things like that. Um, I also thought about like sandy caves and things that might have more traps like sand and gravel are two of the blocks in the game that are affected by gravity. And very often in deserts, you'll see sand that has generated but has nothing underneath it. It has those falling sand particles indicating to you that if you disturb the block, you'll create like a landslide. Mm -hmm. And having caves that could be potential cave-ins could be interesting. I don't know whether that's something Mojang would want to do in terms of like, you know, you don't want to suffocate in a cave that you can't find your stuff in again, like that kind of stuff. Um, but it would be neat to kind of have those those options for what looks like a, a cave that has a, a lot of walls, but only to realize, oh, wow, if I move one or two blocks, this thing could open up quite quite wide. It could be a, a fun reveal uh, in that way. Um, but that just felt very narrow, like when I was going down that road of like um, natural cave stuff. And so I, then I started to think about what they did with the, the nether. Now, of course, in the nether being an unnatural, you know, dimension, uh, having things like warped forests and, and crimson forests and basalt deltas and stuff has some really cool potential and some imagination there. So I was thinking um, along the lines of the things that you might see underground that would make sense, but would then give Mojang the ability to kind of stretch their creative legs. Uh, and I think, you know, going into like um, mushroom caves. So things like bringing mushroom islands maybe a little bit closer to home perhaps having something that has like mycelia and different mushroom blocks um i don't want to copy the things in the nether but i i tend to have like a visual memory of what i've seen so far lately in the game and so that kind of like will it be really cool to have a, a warped forest or have a crimson forest be it it's your own unique thing call it something else have it have a different material all that kind of stuff and bring that into into the cave biomes um but mostly I was just thinking about like uh, what ways we could have those caves be 
like more outworldly, like le less of a, a of a homegrown, seen it on planet Earth before sort of idea. And I just kept on coming back to the the bioluminescence that you've mentioned before. And we get a little bit of that with the glowberries right now and the glow lichen. And it would be neat to have something else in the game where you know, the ceiling is going to glow or, or to have a mob that glows or it's just something along those lines would be, would be neat. Um, I want to give a shout out to Milo S who also wrote in with the idea of underground villages. And so less about a biome, but more about like underground structures. And, uh, they had said in their email, while I was listening to episode 129, I couldn't help but think about the idea of underground villages. I think this could potentially be really unique and add more depth to cave exploration as well. I think there could be room for new profession, uh, which could be cave related, having the villager structures make use of things like deep slate block types, etc. And, um, I like that idea, uh, maybe not necessarily villages, but it would be neat to, in the same way that you come across a witch hut, uh, imagine if there was a standalone structure that was generated by Minecraft, but it was friendly. Like maybe you're, you're going to run into the, the dwarf, you know, like the mining or the, the blacksmiths and the toolsmiths. And that's the only thing you'll run into. They're lone villagers. They don't have a big village. They're just, they're in their one little place. In the same way that a abandoned mine shaft is generated, you might find one of these abandoned or the occupied, you know, mining outpost or whatever you want to call it, uh, and then have an opportunity for trade, have the opportunity to really have to protect that that villager because they are now, um, you know, surrounded by mobs because you're in the area and you're attracting all the zombies and skeletons. Um, there could be some cool gameplay there. I don't necessarily want more villagers because they're not my favorite thing in the game, um, but I would think. And I guess I want to pose the question, do you think in these expansion of a potential extra biome, do you think we might end up getting extra mobs? I mean, we're, we're getting the axolotl uh, so far, but I, I don't know if they can get too, into too many cave biomes in addition to what we already have before they start to, or you start to wonder, well, why is this cool new biome bleak of any life in terms of animal you know, or, or other mob, whether it be aggressive or non-aggressive. Um, have you thought about other biomes? Like what, what, what's your take on that? Uh, I've heard a lot of people discussing other biomes and, and like, like our, our correspondent here, I am honestly really happy with what they've added so far. So I'm not really looking for other biomes myself, but, um, there are two branches of thought that I've seen other biomes fall into, which are realism and fantasy. So in terms of realism, I was thinking, I've always been into the idea of having, stratified caves underground so different veins of stone types running through the walls think like underground mesa you know that kind of thing um and in terms of bioluminescence i think there's always the possibility of something like mushroom caves although that again invites more comparisons to terraria which i think happened a lot when they introduced the crimson biome in the nether update um if you move that into the fantasy realm, imagine a kind of fairy grotto cave. It's not too far-fetched, I think, with like a mix of lush cave and mushroom environments. Um, and I think fantasy kind of touches on the ice cave idea that a lot of people have suggested. But imagine if fairies were actually a kind of mob, but you found them underground. It would seem like a strange place to find fairies when maybe they're more associated with like the natural world and it wouldn't really give them much space to fly around. But... We already have flying mobs in the form of vexes, which could almost be like corrupted fairies, if you look at them that way. And I like the idea of there being a type of mob similar to piglins, but 
yeah, yeah and, and similar to villagers in the same way, but almost like maybe the inverse of piglins. Fairies in folklore are damaged by iron, I think. Like, there, there, there are various interpretations of this, but I feel like iron is often a material that is either, like, used to control fairies or they're kind of allergic to it and they kind of react to it badly. So almost imagine, like, the inverse of piglins where they attack you if you're not wearing gold. What if fairies attacked you if you were wearing iron? And so by the time you get down to, you know, closer to a deep slate level or you stumble upon a kind of fairy hollow underground you're looking around for diamond armor or you're switching to gold or something else because uh yeah the fairies will attack you if you're if you're going to be wearing iron it just that 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 kind of occurred to me as you were talking about the subterranean mob idea and i don't know (laughs) there there might be there might be some uh some pushback on that considering iron is a fairly common uh set of armor by the time you reach that level but I don't know. There's definitely potential for it, and whether in this update or a future update, I think the biomes underground could be uh, expanded a lot more. I think there are so many good ideas out there that sooner or later we might see one of them pop up. It it might even be a future biome vote uh, at at Minecraft Live, just having like, you know, what else should we add to caves in future? And We've expanded on the amethyst geode idea and talked about having more crystals in the game before, but I was wondering what if the game occasionally, rarely, generated larger geodes or turned the geode into more of a biome than a generated structure, so a whole cavern could be covered in amethyst blocks, although maybe, you know, for the sake of balance, you'd want to put as few amethyst budding blocks as there were in a regular geode. So that didn't just become the destination for amethyst harvesting on your server or whatever. I, I think it'd be really fun to have an entire cave that was a geode rather than... The geodes right now are all more or less the same size and shape, roughly speaking. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it'd be kind of cool to find a much larger geode somewhere underground. And that would almost go along with like the fantasy style of things because I don't think geodes are typically that large. <laughs> but I think it'd be it'd be fun to to introduce more... Uh, details like that i think mob wise the main problem is spawning depth and tying it to the biome itself and i've mentioned this before but i have a feeling that the cave biomes we're getting aren't necessarily going to be biomes in the sense of this chunk to this chunk is a specific type of biome and then the stuff on the surface is something different i think the biomes are still going to be vertical for the entire chunk just for the sake of complexity or simplicity and I have a feeling that's going to limit what we see in terms of unique spawns in those caves. But in future, if they decide to rework that system, who knows? We could find that certain biomes really start to generate lower down in the world, or they have a new biome map below Y0 that could end up seeing a few changes to it. So I'm never going to say never on this one. Like I, I do think that more biomes might come to caves in future. I don't know about it being in this update, but mm-hmm. it could very easily be in a, an update, you know, a couple of years from now. I think, too, that, you know, I keep on thinking about this too much like surface biomes. And and what we have right now are cheese caves and spaghetti caves and then essentially biome paint, right? Yeah. You've got lush cave biome paint. You've got dripstone cave biome paint. So it doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with the shape of the cave. It's got what... It has to do with how the blocks are on the surface and what decorative blocks like dripstone blocks and moss and flowers and drip drip leaves and all that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like that's kind of like where 
the difference where you have to kind of like change the way that you think uh, about that kind of stuff. And um, for me, like the other, the other direction that I went with this was uh, when I reached kind of like an impasse of like what other biomes we could have, uh, especially because when you get into too much of it, you're like, well, they don't want to take that away from the player either. You know, like, I mean, a geode in an entire, you know, large cheese cave is a great idea and a really cool project for a player to do, you know? Um, if anybody is familiar with Troll Hunters, the DreamWorks cartoon, Troll Market is a really cool underground city that has like glowing crystals everywhere. And doing that in Minecraft would be a really fun, fun project. Um, but it also got me thinking about uh, structures. So things like uh, desert temples, um, a lot of which you've covered on um, Survival Guide Museum work lately. Uh, and I'm wondering if they, instead of having um, more biomes, as you said, uh, which you think might be a stretch for this update. I'm wondering if there's something they haven't talked about yet, which would be an, an additional structure that you'd only find underground. Similar to strongholds and abandoned mine shafts, I'm wondering if we might get something new. Maybe it's a tomb, you know? Maybe it's uh, something along the lines of like, you know, rare like a geode. And like when you find it, that's just kind of, that's all it is, just this one little spot. Um, more exciting than say a dungeon, uh, it might invite the player to say like, oh, well, I found one of these, but now that I found it, rather than destroying it or whatever, I could maybe expand it and live near it or live in it. Or I think it would be kind of cool to have that kind of thing add to some sort of mysterious lore in the game in the same way that abandoned nether portals kind of have that idea. Um, we don't know if we're going to be able to find abandoned nether portals deep in the world. You know, they haven't addressed that at all. Um, it would be very cool if you were going through these giant cheese caves and you were able to find a, you know, half-built nether portal is kind of like sitting there in the same way that you find them on the surface in the overworld. Especially um, with, be... with how uh, how encouraged players are going to be to dig around under the surface after this update. It'd be cool to, yeah. cool to, to stumble upon stuff like that. Before we yeah. uh, move away too far from the idea of structures, I wanted to remind people that when we saw the warden introduced at minecraft live there was a little oh, yeah. almost like mining outpost looking room down there that was you know beamed and propped and had barrels and stuff like that and we still don't know if that was just there for the purposes of demonstration if it was meant to be a player base if it was something the warden was potentially patrolling the area so that it's a challenge to sneak past it to get to that room or if that was an intended yeah structure in that part of the world so once again, there are still some mysteries left about the Caves and Cliffs update that are still out there. Thanks again to everybody that wrote in to great emails this week. Yes, absolutely. But that is all we've got time for in this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next milestone goal, which is a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we would chat with our patrons every month about what everyone's been up to in Minecraft. Uh, special thanks go out to our content engineers Fazoo Battlecaster, General Pattern 82, Greener Canuck, Hunter 555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. And our community has 240 patrons, which feels like another kind of milestone along the road. The community is still growing, and we're excited to welcome new people every week. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but word of mouth is the easiest way to spread the word. Just tell a friend about the podcast and where they can go to listen to it. Where might that be? You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, and the RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide and play a couple of other games from time to time. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, all about uh, sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. And you can follow me at joelduggan on social media. I'm very easy to find. Uh, Check me out on Twitter. That's where I let people know when I'm going live on Twitch. Twitch is the same username. Surprise, surprise. Playing a lot of Minecraft, working in the medieval world, but also playing a lot of Satisfactory and seeing a lot of really cool Minecraft players come out and hang out in those Satisfactory streams. So come on over. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Wax on, axe off.